Little Tommy has just finished his bath, and before Dad knows where he's gone, Tommy's made his way down the steps into the living room where Mom is hosting the women's group from church. Instant laughter erupts as Tommy, wearing only his birthday suit and without the slightest hint of self-consciousness, makes his way across the room where his horrified mom whisks him up and hurries him back up to put on his pajamas. As all of this unfolds, you can't help but think to yourself, rather sadly, little Tommy will learn soon enough that there are consequences to breaking society's rules. In the beginning, God gave Adam rules to be obeyed, and they were very simple. He was to work and tend the trees of the garden. The fruit of the trees were to be eaten for food. And he was to stay away from one, just one of them, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't tell Adam why. He just told him to do it. Well, God still has rules for us to obey today, and he expects total obedience from us. Actually, there's nothing unusual about laws and rules at all. We live with them every day. In fact, we Americans have some 350,000 laws by which we must live. The IRS checks on us, as do other law enforcement agencies in our country. We have reports to make, state and federal regulations to follow, rules upon rules to which we must conform. In fact, I know someone who wanted to remove the remove under penalty of law tag off of her new mattress, <laughs> but she was scared to do it because of the warning label. So laws are not new to us, and our best judgment declares that we could not live happily without most of them. It's also true with the laws of God. We may protest them, we may proclaim them unfair, we may break them, but in or out of Eden, we humans are still expected to live on God's terms. And yet we quickly see that God is not a harsh despot who gives us difficult laws to obey just so he can frustrate us. Nor does God make rules for us to assure that we remain subservient to him, lest we become his God. What a stupid lie of the devil to think that God could ever be threatened in the least by puny humanity. But for our good, God gives us rules. As a nation has laws for the common good, as a parent has rules for a child's protection, so God sets boundaries to ensure our freedom to live life to the full in joy and happiness. God knows that when we start trying to govern ourselves, apart from his direction, the result will be alienation and death. Freedom to enjoy life is always set in the prohibitions of God. True freedom comes from being bound to him. As the psalmist said, I will keep thy law and I shall walk at liberty. So as we go to our story for today, we see that the serpent enters the scene in the peaceful Garden of Eden. And he begins to offer up possible alternatives to the ways of God. And he starts with a question which is craftily couched as a lie. He says, really? You can't eat any of the fruit of the garden? 
Eve's reply is, well, yeah, of course we can eat the fruit. It's just that one tree in the center bets off limits. We eat that and we die. Then the enemy of God and man calls God's truth a lie. And he declares, you won't die. You'll just have your eyes opened to know the difference between good and evil. So the woman is convinced to break the laws of God and then influences her husband to do the same. So the story of trust and obedience to God turns into a lesson of crime and punishment. The freedom that seemed like slavery to Adam and Eve is exchanged for bondage and death. The truth is, we always become slaves when we disobey God, slaves to sin. And no bondage is worse than that wrought by sin. Once we go down the slippery slope of sin, it's a continuous downhill slide. I mean, we all know that you can't eat just one, whatever that one is. So as Romans says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. In choosing sin, we exchange our false notion of freedom for bondage and death. And yet humans are always yearning for freedom. Who doesn't wish for more space, announcing that they belong only to themselves? And so we want to be free from the enslavement of the kitchen or from confinement of a job we don't like. Our songs plaintively cry out our supreme desires in the refrains, I want to be free, and I did it my way. We want freedom to sleep at night with a clear conscience, freedom from fear of death, and above all, freedom from the terrors of the judgment day. A teenage boy told his parents he was going to run away from home. Listen, he said, I'm leaving home. There is nothing you can do to stop me. I want excitement, adventure, beautiful women, money, and fun. I'll never find it here. So I'm leaving. Just don't try to stop me. As he headed for the door, his father leaped up and ran toward him. Dad, the boy said firmly, you heard what I said. Don't try to stop me. I'm going. Who's trying to stop you, said the father. I'm going with you. No matter what promises of things will be better elsewhere are made to us, we can never be truly free when we break the rules of God. It's just disastrous. Recall that God gave three rules about the trees in the Garden of Eden. Tend them, eat of them, and stay away from the one tree in the middle of the garden, the knowledge of good and evil. We forget that Adam only broke the one rule. The first two were completely acceptable to him. Adam didn't mind tending the trees. After all, that gave him something good to do and protected the means of his livelihood. He was very happy to eat of the fruit that God had so graciously provided. Now, the third rule was just as important to his well-being as the first two. It's just he didn't think so. It remains true that the laws of God are given to keep us from falling into trouble and disaster. And what a pity that our disobedience against God causes us to enslave ourselves. And now that the rule of God is broken, 
the captivity of Adam and Eve begins. Before, in the innocence of obedience to God, the husband and wife were together. They were naked, but unembarrassed and unashamed. Now the broken law reveals their shame, their need of a covering. And what they thought would be liberation turned out to be the beginning of fear and anxiety. And that's always true. The power of guilt takes on its own destruction. Guilt causes us to jump when no one is there, to fear shadows, thinking they're some threatening reality. There's never any real security apart from obedience to God. Oh, sure, television ads may promise you that you'll have financial security with certain money markets, that Prudential, for example, will be your rock, and that you're in good hands with Allstate. But fine as all of these may be, the truth is that nothing works to make us secure when we break God's laws. When we reject him, separation and death result. So now, with the realization of their disobedience upon their consciences, Adam and Eve could not bear to face God. So, as we often do, they hid from him. But the confrontation must come sooner or later. And so it did for this pair. The goodness and mercy of God is now shown when he, the betrayed, takes pity upon their shame and clothes them with animal skins. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Yet another early portrait of God's New Testament lamb who will die for the sins of the world. We all know what it is to try to hide our sins, but they fester inside us. Oh, we can try excusing ourselves or ignoring our sins, blaming others, that's common, hoping they will go away on their own. But still they remain. Ugly stains, dark clouds in our conscience, causing hopelessness, ever pleading against us. Our sins reveal a a naked soul, unclean and embarrassing in its ugliness. But as we look to the cross once again, we see that just as in the Eden story, an innocent victim will die to cover the guilty people. And so the holy, innocent, spotless, sinless Son of God dies to cover our sins with his own atoning, cleansing, covering blood. He alone will make amends for our disobedience. I recall a man who finally came to the knowledge of Christ as his own Savior, and he said, For years I ran from Jesus because I thought he was after me with a warrant for my arrest. I knew I'd done wrong. I knew I deserved punishment. Then one day I discovered it wasn't a warrant for my arrest. It was a pardon for my sins. And so we too learn that this narrative of Adam and Eve teaches the blessedness of bondage to the laws of God and also the freedom of choice to live or not to live within those boundaries. A society lady gave a a gala garden party and among the many guests were two ministers. She was standing by the punch bowl when the first reverend approached looking thirsty. I must tell you, she said to him warningly, 
The punch is spiked. Oh, little spirit never hurt anyone, he answered, filling his cup. Then the second minister approached. He got the same warning. But then he drew himself up very piously, looked down his nose and said, I would rather commit adultery than drink an alcoholic beverage. The first minister, aggravated by his judgmental attitude, snapped to attention and said, I didn't realize I had a choice. My friends, we always have a choice. We don't have to serve God unless we choose. We can decide to obey or disobey, to live in or out of Eden. Christ's death is the justifying agent that restores Eden to us again, to the fellowship of God the Father. Suppose Christ came to you today and said, you know, you don't have to follow me any longer. You no longer have to abide by the rules. You can forget all about Christian principles. You can do as you please for a change. You don't have to get out of bed on Sunday mornings and go to church. You no longer have to make your decisions on the basis of right and wrong. You don't have to be careful to always speak the truth. You don't have to fulfill your pledge to the church. You don't have to tolerate the cantankerous people you don't like very well. You're free to be your own master. (laughs) Wouldn't you think it over and probably say to yourself, no more conscience to guide me when I'm wrong? No more people in the family of God to care when I'm in trouble? No one to rejoice with me? Nowhere to go with my sins? No heaven? No hope? No life after death? No Christ to love me? No nothing? And then you and I would cry out, No! No, no, not that, Lord. Anything but that. To whom would I go if I left you? You have the words of eternal life. You have the way to salvation. You have the way to the abundant life and true freedom. No, I want to serve you. I will never, never, never choose to be free from this blessed bondage. I like being your slave. It's the only freedom I've ever known. I won't go free. I won't. Then having made our choice, Christ would say, you mean it? You really mean it? Till death then you will be my slave? Till death? And we would reply, humbly and thankfully, And honestly, yes, indeed, Lord, I choose life with God rather than my own will and my own way. I will serve you and I will obey you. I will worship and adore you till death and beyond death into life eternal. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Amen and amen.